What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And as always, a whopping great thank you to everyone who keeps this show on the road. That's our academates in the Bestseller Academy and our patrons over on Patreon. Now, if you support the podcast uh, in the Academy or as a patron, you can get access. If you're a chart topper supporter, you can get access to hundreds, hundreds of hours of extra content and material, including bonus material that you have on the end of shows and deep dives and all that kind of good stuff. If you go to the Academy... You get me and Mr. D as, as your tutors and you join a wonderful community of people, like-minded people over there who want to write the best stories and tell their stories and just get get their words out there. So uh, if you want to support the Academy, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. And if you want to support the podcast, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Links in the show notes. Mr. D, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. And, and just a quick reminder, everyone, if you listen to this on the 5th of September which I believe is uh, is the day this goes out, Mark, isn't it? That is the deadline for signing up for the Academy in September. So rock on, folks. Don't pause. Just just nip over to the website. I'm doing great, Mr. Stay. And I think we should introduce our fabulous guest this week. Let's get on with, it. Get on with it. Returning guest. So born in Liverpool, Sarah Moorhead has told stories since childhood and uses writing as a bubble gum for her overactive brain and to keep it out of trouble. Uh, she's taught a secondary school. She's attained a black belt in kickboxing. She's worked as a chaplain. She's established a justice and peace youth group. She's amazing. She's been on the podcast before with Stuart Turton. We can talk about that and I'll put a link in the show notes. So you can check that all out. But she's here back the legend that is sarah moorhead how are you sarah great to see you again how are you i feel like rocky i'm off the canvas and i'm back in for round two i don't think there's many people who kind of come and did it they don't come in for round two do they made up it's absolutely brilliant it's so so great to have you back on the show sarah and so much has happened since we last talked i mean it's been a bit of a whirlwind first of all how how are you feeling right now? Because you? you're in the middle of a lot of things happening. Tell us what's going on. Well, my book comes out tomorrow and I've got a book, like a private book launch party on Friday in this fantastic uh, renovated old library in Liverpool. So um, maybe if you put that on the notes as well, that's a fan pl- fantastic place to have a look at. Um, and then next Wednesday, don't be jealous. I've actually got a launch in Waterstones in Liverpool. Yay. So I'm excited about that. That's like something that you've always kind of, you always dream of. It's all for goals, isn't it? So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also, my kids think I'm vaguely cool because I'm signing some books in Forbidden Planet tomorrow, which <laughs> um, my 13-year-old is now, you know, mum's mom's pretty cool. But to be honest with you, it's really, really strange because you think that you'd be on top of the world, but I'm actually just very chill, very chilled at the moment. It's it's the calm before the storm, isn't it? It's that that kind of you realize there's there's nothing you can do. The book is out there. 
People are gonna. People are already reading. Look, I've got a proof here. Now you might think it's called an eye for an eye, but they've they've actually that's the proof copy. It's actually called the treatment, and I'm about halfway through it, and it's blimmin' brilliant, Sarah. It's it's just fantastic. It it tackles some really big themes on justice and punishment, but it's also really humane and compassionate. So. Tell us about the treatment and tell us about how you manage that fine line between tackling a big theme and keeping the story entertaining, which it is. Because this could get, there's a danger, something like this, these big ideas could get a bit preachy, but you don't do that. Tell, tell us how you did it and tell us about the treatment. Well, the, the way I kind of tread the line between uh, preaching and trying to get it right is that if you focus on the characters and the humans involved in it, then I think just because that's a short answer, maybe we could come back to that later. So the treatment is basically, about, it's five minutes into the future. There's a um, a private company called Janus Justice who have taken over um, looking after prisoners and the prison system. And they've based it on four tiers. So it's a tier system where um, if you're committing crime because you haven't got enough food or because you haven't got anywhere to live, so you're stealing food or whatever, or you're squatting, they, the government provide you with the things you need to stop you offending. If you're offending because you have psychological problems, addiction, PTSD, then uh, you go to stay in a camp, which is sort of like, it's like a sort of army barracks in the countryside, but you get everything provided for you. You stay there for as long as you need to get your therapy. It's sort of emotional, psychiatric psychological maybe medicine but then as we move up the tiers to tier three it gets a bit more sinister so we have aversion therapy at uh, tier three where the um, Janus use drugs and they use um, hypnotherapy to make you think that what you did to other people is getting done to you so it's very sort of you know retribution uh, theory of punishment and then there's even a level four for the incurables so um that's the sort of structure of the um the prison system there and it's uh, the main character is a woman called grace she is a psychiatrist she works for janice but she works at tier two where she feels like she can help people she can give them therapy she can talk through their problems and try and get them back on track and then her boss, Conrad, um, demands that she goes into tier three one day because the uh, usual psychiatrist who's in there has gone gone off sick. Um, and she really struggles with the morality of, of that. Anyway, her best friend, Remy, from childhood, he is in a bit of trouble. It looks like he's going to get sent to tier four and she has to try and save him. So that's Ooh. the sort of basic premise of the book. Wow. Now, your big brother was a forensic scientist and your little brother was a probation officer and a lecturer in criminal justice. Is that right? That's right. That must that must have influenced you a bit in this book, did it? Well, certainly when we were kids, um, my elder brother, uh, whose name is Damien, interestingly enough, Damien Omer, we used to call him, um, he had a real interest in forensics even back then. And we used to get this, um magazine once a week called i think it was murder book case files and it was like about one pound 80 and and it was you know a, a serial killer once a week and we used to pour over this magazine and and my dad was um a medic so we had like we also had kind of sort of forensic textbooks at home so it's not not your usual childhood reading matter but what i love about books and reading is that there doesn't seem to be any age limits there's no you know you can't read this because you're not 18 so uh, we made the most of it and and there was no you know no ban on books in our house and we read some very interesting things yes i was going to say it must have been a very interesting moorhead dinner time conversation <laughs> growing up. honestly honestly i mean at one point my when my brother was doing um 
he was in the autopsies with um Dr. Jim Burns, who's like the home office pathologist in Liverpool, um, he would come home at times and he would say, you know, uh, oh, well, we were on this scene today and, and this uh, man had been dead in his kitchen for three days and the dog was eating his leg. You know, and you'd be sitting out with your fish fingers going, oh, OK, right. OK, thanks for that. So, <laughs> you That's know, just, just and dead interested. And then, as I say, my brother was a probation officer, so I could pick his brains about some things. And then he's gone on, thankfully. That's a very, very difficult job. So he's gone on to to lecture and bring in the next le- the next layer of um, probation officers so i do pick his brains from time to time but let, let, let's let's come back to that that thing about character that we were talking about because there, there i've seen that you've been compared this book has been compared to things like minority report and philip k dick and stuff which i grew up reading those books and i love them but they were always a bit cold they were they were kind of this is very human this is very compassionate um Tell tell us about Grace and and her story and how she changes because Grace is who we'd want to be. I think she's a compassionate person. She does the right thing, but she's constantly challenged and challenged again and again, isn't she? Yeah, certainly. I mean, Grace um, starred. I mean, you know, all superheroes have a backstory. You've just got to watch Marvel. I'm a massive Marvel fan, <laughs> and it's your you know a little bit of grit in the oyster makes a pearl, doesn't it? And so Grace started off, um, her mother was in uh, prison as a child. And at, at this in this dystopian world, children would be allowed to go in with their mums until they were about six. So she spent time uh, locked up with her mum in prison. So she understands, she's seen life from both sides. She understands what it's like to be in prison. She understands what it's like to struggle. She's fought hard to get herself, you know, through college, through university and, and become a psychiatrist. And so obviously she has that deep insight that maybe a lot of people might not have unless they'd been through that themselves. That's fantastic. Now, the, the, when you describe the, the the concept of the book, it, it has this real richness to it. And, and obviously it's been really thought through. But I'm curious, did, did this idea evolve over time? Were you sitting there kind of thinking about all these different levels? Or was it one of those moments where you kind of woke up in the morning and it was like a fully formed, oh, brilliant i've got it and you couldn't kind of write it down fast enough oh i think we're a culmination of all our experiences aren't we and all our uh, where we were nurtured and the things we've picked up along the way so i I couldn't really you know i've worked for 27 years to be an overnight success sort of thing and i think the same thing with these books it's they're all part of my lego bricks in the building of who i am um i think the whole concept from the tier system really came from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it was interesting because mm. I was listening to you guys talking about this a couple of mm. weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and it's always fascinated me, Maslow, is, you know, you described it last time as sort of a triangle diagram. Human beings have needs and you can't get the next level up until you've got the first le- level met. So, for instance, people will need uh, food and safety. Um, they'll sorry they'll need food and water and somewhere to stay then they need safety then they need relationships then they need what we call self-actualization you know they need they need to become who they are and I was reading uh Colin Wilson's Plague of Murder and he was talking about the fact that um sex crime t- uh sort of came up sort of the late 19th century became a really big thing from the late 19th century onwards and it just occurred to me that before that people would be committing crime because they didn't have enough food or they didn't have anywhere to live uh, there'd be a lot of that going on which feels like sort of 
the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy. And then the sort of the, the sexual crime comes in, you know, people need relationships and, and Maslow, they need relationships. Obviously, if you kind of pervert that, people would be working on sex crimes. And if you go up further, we're looking at self-actualization. And for me, that kind of means serial killers who are trying to sort of say, I am somebody, this is who I am. Uh, I'm doing this to show you who I am. Or on the other level, it could be also, you know, maybe terrorism where people are becoming who they're meant to be. They are living out these ideals. So um, I love the way, you know, Mr. Stay, you're so such a gentle soul. And he, you know, you talked about hierarchy, um, Maslow's hierarchy is sort of the different literary levels. You know, you could say sort of um, the, the lower levels of a crime and thrillers and the middle yeah. ones of sort of a romance and the upper ones are literary fiction. So that's another way of interpreting it. But I love the fact that those two kind of idea that you had about the literary styles and the idea I have about crime, they kind of really fit together, don't they? And it's just a really interesting place to start from. So when I thought about that, I thought about, you know, um, I, I am a bit idealistic. I do. I do wish the world was a better place. and I, yeah. I really, really do. And I think, you know, so much of people's struggles and so much of crime is really caused by a lack of a lack of things that you really need and, and a lack of support and a lack of understanding from um people in that their London and the big government. You know, they don't understand what people need and they don't if we gave people what they needed, you wonder to what degree we would just be left with people who did bad stuff because they wanted to do bad stuff. And that's kind of where the aversion therapy level came from. Mm. it's it's uncanny timing actually because i started reading this and it was the same night there was a documentary about that attack on london bridge uh which which weirdly i was i was at harper collins uh interviewing people for the podcast and we were shut in while it was all going on so i thought i, I need to watch this and that whole what i hadn't realized is you know the guy with the narwhal horn and everything it was a conference about rehabilitating criminals Yes. Uh, and and all these questions about the difference between punishment and justice. You know, the government wants to be seen to punish people, but you often conflate punishment with justice. Anyway, so I'm getting on a bit of a, a um, it's getting like a high park corner here. But these are the things that you, you, you tackle in the novel. You know, these things that we must be seen to be doing something, but actually... You know, doing the good thing is the is is the hard choice, and it does come. I think this is one of these things in story, and you can apply this to any genre. Is your character will need to make the difficult choice, and that's what you do to to Grayson here. You know, you give her the most difficult choices, and that's why it's such a compelling story. I think also to put your main character in just horrible situations, it's just brilliant, isn't it? It's what we need to Great. do. Um, you know, I think like it, you, it, it's how the person reacts. That's their character. And, and we all know that from life. You know, life just echoes stories, stories echo life. That the situations that you're in, depending on how you re respond to that, just shows your character. So um, that's what we do. We put Grace in a difficult situation and then just put loads of stress on her, see what she does. And then it makes the reader think, well, what would I do in that situation? You know, poor Grace, what's going to happen? How is she going to deal with this? Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating because looking at your background, Sarah, I mean, working as a chaplain, establishing a justice and peace youth group, did you did you kind of move into writing because you felt that it was a better way potentially for you to to kind of play with these ideas, to, to, to work through them, and also to make a difference in the way people think about them? Because I'm sure when readers read your book, they'll come away with so many, so many 
things to think about and, and dinner time conversation topics? Um, not at all. No, I, I wrote a book because I want to leave teaching. I want to retire early. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> Brilliant. But to be honest with you, though, if, to be honest with you, um, I was a writer before I was a teacher. And when I went into teaching after a few years, I thought this is a really, really hard job. Uh, I felt I felt very much it was a vocation. I did want to go in and change hearts and minds. I do think that's a, a massive part of what I am as a person. Um, but after a few years, I thought it's hard. How am I going to, you know, I need an exit plan. All all teachers, I don't care what they say, all teachers have an exit strategy. <laughs> so they just, you know, cope as far as they can. And then they go, right, I know what I'm going to do when I leave. So I started thinking about writing when I was only about 27. I was only about three years into teaching. Um, but what occurred to me recently was that I, I, I think teaching is is part of my personality. It's in my nature. But you don't just have to teach in the classroom. You really don't. So my little Justice and Peace Youth group up the road in the parish, we've got about 50 kids. We uh, we bring people in or we talk to the kids all about the world and things that are happening and how they can help and how they can make a difference. And it occurred to me, I know it sounds stupid, but a couple of weeks ago that the stuff I'm writing about, it's got to have that same effect on people, hasn't it? It's got to make people think about the world. I think that's what crime writing in particular does. It just puts a lens to the world and says, "What you know? What are we doing here? How are we living? Um, you know, could it be better?" Mm. Absolutely. Now, look, we loved your debut debut novel, Witness X, which we've got here, uh, and we had you on the podcast when it, it first came out. Uh, what was that published experience like? Because as if I recall, Sam Eads at Trapeze, she didn't go for your first idea, did she? She she read what something you sent her and then asked, but asked for something new. Can you tell us about that? That was my my dragon's den moment. So I love Sam Eads and I always will. Right, she is an absolute hero. Oh, yeah. Um, so I went in and I said, look, here's my book. How do you find? It? And she says, well, you know, I like you. Have you got anything else? I don't want this but I like you. You know, if you're doing Dragon's Den sometimes, so I just pulled an idea out and said, well, what about this? What about if a, if, a, if a neuroscientist could read people's minds directly from their brains and find out what happened in a crime? So she goes, right, go away and write that. So I did. And it was difficult in, in respects because um, you had somebody sort of, there was a lot of hand-holding to get through. I didn't know how to structure a book. And I think that's my, that had been my biggest problem. I didn't know how to structure a book. Um, I've got loads of ideas, you know, my brain, I've just got a firework brain, ping, 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 ping all the time. But, you know, it's no good. It's going to be chaos, is it? So uh, Sam taught me how to structure a book, taught me how to edit it. It was like doing a one-on-one sort of MA in creative writing because I don't have any um, qualifications in writing at all. So that was wonderful. Um, but, but, you know, it came out two weeks before lockdown. Um, I think... Sam went off on maternity leave. Trapeze went in a different direction for the type of books they wanted to mm. produce. Uh, so it kind of, you know, they said, I, I don't think you're for us anymore. But somebody very kindly wheeled over to the office next door at Galantz and said, hey, here's Essie Moorhead. You fancy taking her on? But they said I wasn't sci-fi enough. Um, and I don't really want to be sci-fi. I it, it took that difficulty to find out that I'm a speculative crime thriller writer and i'm happy with that it was a kind of a, a perfect storm of uh because my my book came out just just as you know covid was shutting down this you know and it's uh 
it really did have an effect because this was very much what I remember when we, we'd sit in an acquisition meetings, uh, you know, and talk about books and where they'd sell. And this is very much a bookshop book. This is a book that you, you first of all, you see the cover, you go, oh, cool. What's that? Pick that up. And it's very word of mouth. And, you know, so that must have been really, really tough, really, really tough. That, that Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, yeah. And it's not what you expect, you know, you kind of, as a writer, you you start at the bottom of the mountain and every time you reach a plateau, you're like, yes, you know, I've got a, I've written a book. Yes, I've finished the book. I've got an agent. I've got a publishing deal. And every time on every plateau, you're like, come on, next thing, next thing. And then, you know, like snakes and ladders, you find yourself all the way back down at the bottom again. So yeah, that was not that was not easy at all, no. But like everything else in my life, that's really when horrendous things happen, they actually always turn out to be one of the best things that ever happens. So, and, and that's what happened here really as well. So it it didn't work out. Uh, Orion dropped me. Galance didn't take me on. My agent then said she's downsizing. She's kind of narrowing her focus on the type of writer she worked with. So she dropped me and I was just like, oh, you know, what you do now? So yeah, I uh, just picked myself up off the canvas, brushed myself down, started again. So when lockdown started, I just wrote a book in lockdown. So right, let's do it. Let's write a book. Wrote a book. No hand holding this time. Did it all myself. That gave me a lot of confidence that I I actually figured out I could write a book on my own and I knew how to do it. And it came out kind of I was happy with how it came out. Um and then just started again. Started looking for an agent, started looking for a publisher. So I sent it to six agents and got, you know, got I got a lot of personal feedback. I got two people wanted to take me on out of six. Um, which I thought was really good. I think two other people said we like you, but we've got somebody similar to you. So I thought, well, it might be okay because you know that's not too bad. Is that's not bad going? And you ended up with some chancer called Ed Wilson. Total chancer. <laughs> Have you met him in real life? He's um, not as tall as me. <laughs> <laughs> I really I hope Ed's listening to this. Yeah, no, I love Ed. He's brilliant. He's absolutely fantastic. He's uh, my, my agent too, listeners. Uh, and, <laughs> just um, mention that. <laughs> just yeah, yeah, just sort of, yeah. <laughs> no, I he's had to ace. choose between two, you know, and that was how do you turn down? How do you turn down the other agent? Because I bet they were both brilliant, were they? Yeah, they're both brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That's a hard well, thing. at the end of the day, the decision I made was based on the fact that the other agent, I actually have a pair of socks older than him, so I decided that I would <laughs> go for experience it comes, and It does come down to that, though, doesn't it? It does come down to things like that. So tell us the story of what but happened. I'm not saying young people. I'm not saying young people can't do just as good a job. I'm sure we could. I'm not ageist in that respect, but I, I thought I'd just I'd, I'd go old school. So what happened next, Sarah, when you you you, you, you signed up with Ed? Tell us the story of how, how the book then found the publisher. Just said to Ed, look, Ed, I don't say, uh, you know, we'll have a little sort of round of edits, but I, I I can't serve two masters, you know. I need to um, have an editor and work with them on, because I, I'd, fa- I'd found it really stressful work with my original agent, editing, 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 and then with Sam, editing, editing. I found that very, very stressful, actually. And, you know, recently there's been a lot of talk about how things are for debut authors and how difficult it can be and how we don't really know the ropes and we don't know the, we don't know how things work. And it can be very difficult when you when you, you know, you, you're working blind, really. Um, so um, Ed, Ed sent it off to a number of people and um, 
Kit Neville at Canelo, who again, I actually do genuinely have a pair of socks older than him. Um, I mean, they're a really good pair of socks that, you know, but um, I bring them out every Halloween. They're thigh length, black and white stripy ones. You wear them with the ruby red slippers, you know, to do the Wizard of Oz, which... So they are, you know, they only wear them once a year. But so Kit's young, but he's just brilliant. He's so different to me. He's like young, he's Oxford educated, he's well-spoken, he's, um, you know, just very quiet and gentle. He's just lovely. So we we kind of met and I just thought, you know, I really like this guy. This is this is going to work for me. So um, that's what happened. Fantastic. And you've had some cr- amazing things happen in the run-up to this release, haven't you? I mean, the bookseller being uh one i've been in there twice right twice once for a northern powerhouse like you know like the northerners got a shout and one for um uh crime thrillers you know and and because the cover is so fantastic branding see my necklace i have a necklace made there's a guy called andrew davis designs and he is just an absolute genius and the cover of the book there we go. Do you notice I've got a little bit, little bit of uh, foil there? Can you see the gold flash? Oh, makes it look nice. like the um, makes it look nice. like the lines beep beep beep. Yep. So um, Andrew designed that, and it, if you read the book, and especially particularly the aversion therapy bit, it's really yeah. evocative of what the book's about. You know, so I, I think it's great, and it's got the eye for uh, sort of the clockwork orange vibe as well, which um, mm. Imran Mood said it's. Clockwork Orange for the new cohort. I was like, yes. And Christina Dolce, she went, oh, my gosh. Absolute hero, you know. There's so many people who've been so kind. Brian McGilloway and Eve Smith, just loads of people who I love. And obviously and someone, Stu. I was going to say, and someone called Stuart Turton. Uh, <laughs> someone Stu, yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we go to listener questions, what's coming next? Because I think this is a two-book deal. Is that right? Is what What, what have you got what have you got lined up? Well, all I can say is it's it's a mashup between um, Frankenstein and the Wizard of Oz. Oh, sold. <laughs> <laughs> it's about four people looking for something that's going to help them and a doctor who thinks he might be able to give them what they need. And it, have you had to start working on that, Sarah, or are you kind of like just pushing through now with the publicity and the promo of the, of the current book? I'm I'm a consummate professional, Mr. Stay, uh, Mr. D. I'm a consummate professional. So I've been doing both at the same time, Brilliant. but only because I'm on summer holidays. Next week, when we go back to school, it'll be back to 5 a.m. get-ups and grafting. You know, it'll be hard work next week, but I've Hang just on. been... I, I'm going to bring you up on that. Consummate professional. Uh, I, I read earlier today on Twitter, I'm in bed with a bag of revels and a brew. <laughs> Reading M.W. Craven, which is fine. Um Tell tell us is that your life now? Is staying in bed, eating revels, and reading books? Is that is that the is that you know your daily routine? So I have to tell you that I don't actually have a sweet tooth. So that was unusual for me <laughs> oh. to have a bag of chocolate in bed. I particularly I don't really have a sweet tooth now. Uh, so I could I, I'd sell chocolates for I'd, I'd I'd have that over for um, specifically Aldi's cheese and onion crisps. So I, that's my thing. <laughs> So, um, no, what I do is at the moment, during the summer holidays, um, I like to stay in bed till about half eight and I'll read with black coffee and I'll have a read in the morning. We all play Wordle, which I'm fuming about this morning because every, frequently I put in a specific word. Yeah, we all do just that. To get, yeah. you know, and it was, and I didn't do it today and it was the word. You missed it. Because my, hus- uh, that's, that's my husband like said, you're ultimate. cheating, you're cheating. 
isn't it? Isn't it? It's like Getting it's the same thing as. Do you know what? Do you know what that is, Sarah? Because I've I've experienced this as well. It's like the equivalent of having lottery numbers, and the week that your lottery number comes up, you forget to buy a ticket. That's how addictive Honestly, Wordle is. It's like heroin de- for, for lexicons. It's ridiculous. It should be banned. It's human. It should be banned. No, but I, w- I just want to say for anyone listening to this outside the UK, I have to, I have to mention this. You know that we've had this hobnob thing going on the podcast mm. for quite a while. I've got to say, when I came back to the UK this year. The, I, the test for me is I, I, I stop at a service station on the one from Heathrow Airport in the rental car <laughs> and I go into the I go into the, the garage as we like to call it, not not the, the petrol station, and I look at the English chocolates. And the first one I picked out this year, it's always a test, guess what it was? Bag of Revels. Bag of Revels. For, for anyone who's not experienced the magic of Revels outside the UK, how how would you describe them, Sarah? It's kind of like it's kind of like a Russian uh, roulette. It's yeah. Russian roulette lucky chocolate. Dip. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Russian like roulette a lucky chocolate. Dip. <laughs> you don't quite know what you're gonna get. Um the, and, and when I get when I get the coffee one, it just I that's I don't like and everyone has their favourites, but the coffee one is the one that I like. Oh, shouldn't have taken that. You like the coffee? No, I can't stand the coffee. I like all the other What's ones. What's your favourite one? Um, probably the minstrel equivalent, which is just solid chocolate, obviously, because it's more bang for your buck, right? Yeah, I like, I like the thing? little the little disc one, the little disc one. Yeah, that that's the one. That, is, yeah. that isn't quite a minstrel. That is, that is and there is a, there is also there's also the kind of the Malteser knockoff as well, which oh, I quite yeah. like. You know, how about you, Sarah? What's your favourite? The, t- the toffee, the t- little toffee one. Okay, good call. Cool. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, that is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm sorry, I really hobnobs. want a packet of Revels now. We, we, we did, we did say to the Hobnobs that they could sponsor the show, but they never replied to our uh, calls. So Revels, if you're hey, interested, can I just have a complaint? I need to complain oh. because I was in uh, just by chance. I was in a Poundland yesterday. They have a Chris the Caterpillar. Have you seen this, Chris the Caterpillar? Chris. <laughs> I am going to. I took a photograph of it, Mark. Stay. I took a photograph to send you i was outraged <laughs> oh it's going to be loads of litigious action going on someone's going to have to write uh, there's going to be a netflix documentary about this right? <laughs> <About> the, <caterpillar laughs> the knockoffs of the caterpillars that's not a bad idea actually <laughs> actually actually we'll take that out of the podcast yeah, me and mr stay will make it yeah. me and mr stay will make it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we knew this would happen bringing you on sarah honestly you, you, it's brilliant but cheese and onion and revels that's a combo oh my gosh like we having those well, at the same time together what, oh okay no no what i'm saying is that I, because i don't have a, <laughs> no i'm not I'm not a psychopath jeez um, so because i wouldn't um i would give up all chocolate if it meant i could, could you know i could just eat crisps if it was one or the other I wouldn't bother with chocolate. I just have cheese and onion Aldi crisps. We don't have cheese and onion over in Canada or America. It's like the it's the mo- and people when they hear it, yes. And when people hear, they say cheese and onion, and the other one's prawn cocktail. Like they they and they eat peanut butter right? and jam sandwiches, but they can't accept <laughs> cheese and onion for God's sake. Oh, brilliant! You haven't lived until you visited England, stopped at a service station, got yourself a cheese and onion bag of crisps and a bag of Revels. That's and you can go home basically. It's good, good visit. But um, a can of coke or a scouse, a can of coke. A can, a can of coke, coke goes really well with that. A can of coke. 
<laughs> oh, talking about Liverpool. <laughs> I heard Mark DeVos say a couple of weeks ago that I was one of his favourite 12 Scousers, which I think sounds... But, but what I was thinking was then, how many people play on a football team? Hmm. So would that be on your bench, would that, Mark? No, no, no. You see, that's the thing. I Obviously, being a lifelong Liverpool fan, I have many favourite Scousers. The fact you even got in the top 12, sir, means I had to knock someone off the team. I had to, I had to transfer him to Saudi Arabia. You know, to get you in. <laughs> Absolutely You'll be jealous though, because I saw, I saw, there's a cafe at the bottom of our road and I saw Steve, Stevie G there not long ago and I just, you know, being cool, just walked past and went, I stayed, walked out, you know, quite cool. <laughs> you did, do? Did, yeah, didn't ask Even him Even I've heard of him. Though. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the last time you see him in Liverpool, unfortunately. Bless him. Oh, gutted. Anyway, moving on. Um, what I would like, we're going to, we're going to, we've got, we've got some great listener questions, Sarah, which we'd like to ask you, but we're going to, we always do this extended podcast and we would like to ask those in the extended. So if you're interested in joining us for a, a cheeky extended with Sarah, it's going to be raw. Like if, th if this were a preview of what we do publicly, right, Mr. Stay, if this were a little preview of what we do publicly, you're going to love the extended, but um, we're going to, we're going to delve a bit more in talking about resilience, not giving up, because this is a really important theme. Um, and I know your story is so inspiring, Sarah, that you've, you know, you've bounced back from those, those lows, you know, those, those crashes and you've come back to, to massive, massive victories. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how you figure your trail of clues out as well. So if you'd like to join us for the extended, pop along to uh, Patreon, sign up or join the Academy and uh, you will get access to the extended version. So, Sarah, we would like you to stay with us, uh, particularly for the wins and the celebrations this week. Because, Mark, how many times have we mentioned the name of Sarah Moorhead in this section of the podcast over the years? <laughs> yeah, no, absolute winner. Absolute winner. So it's great to have you here. So uh, we've got a couple here. Um, over on the Academy, we've got Karen Story, uh, who has got an email letting her know that my, her memoir piece has just gone onto the shortlist in another competition. This same piece is now shortlisted in two separate competitions awaiting results in September. The first competition is a very big one, but I'm not allowed to say yet which one it is. Luckily, both competitions are happy with simultaneous submissions and even simultaneous shortlistings, uh, as long as the piece hasn't been previously published. Fingers crossed for September. Karen is on fire at the she's moment. On fire. She's just, you know, we, uh, she's got... She's had we to would, do a spreadsheet to keep up with all the competition interests she's been doing. We were joking on Monday in the in the life coaching session in the academy about she's going to have to bring up the Guinness Book of Records because I think she might be getting close to uh, a, some kind of world record for the amount of short story nominations and wins. This is a phenomenon in, in the making. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And you've got to be in it to win it. And what we love is that you, you're putting yourself out there and that takes guts and, and I think that's wonderful. It is I was I had a one to one with someone in the academy today, and one of their big fears was putting stuff out there. They were saying, you know, I I have you know what if what if the book what if someone finds the book lacking? What if they don't like it? What if it doesn't work? And I said there are eight billion people on the planet. Only a tiny percentage of them are actually going to like it. You know the the book. There is always someone out there who won't like it. You know, they're, they're, you're never going to please everyone. That cat from Germany who gave me two stars the other day. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. You could, don't look at Goodreads ever. That's my huge advice. Don't look at Goodreads. But what you will get, what you will get is you will get, and I'm sure you've had this, Sarah, where people will go to you, this book has moved me. This book has uh, made me laugh. It's made me cry. It's it's touched me in a way. It's my favourite book. It, it's it, I hadn't expected this. You will get these comments. I I got an a, an email from someone 
who I know is in uh, end-of-life care, and they're reading my book, and they are loving it. So this is someone who knows, can see the finish line, if you like, and they're taking the time to read my book. And that that has just completely blown my mind. So, yeah, putting yourself out there is kind of, kind of comes with the territory. Uh, but And it is tough, and it, it can be – it can really knock you back. But every now and then and you get a little sad, message – Psychologists say that we tend to focus on the negative because we want to sort of protect ourselves. And what you've got to try and do is really focus on the positive ones. And I know it's hard, but just try and put put the negative ones out out of your mind. But isn't that wonderful that your books bring in someone comfort when they're in that situation? That's beautiful. That's amazing. Completely blown me away. Completely blown Uh, me away. And Mark, you mentioned about you mentioned about eight billion people on the planet. I don't know if my maths is right here, but I think I just worked out that to get a million selling book you only have to reach ready for this 0.0125 percent of the world's population that's like a hundred of one percent or something i think i've got that wrong i think it's actually if i know a listener out there will correct we've got a professor of math somewhere let us know what a million of eight billion is but it's a tiny tiny percentage when you look well, at that, that that's cool that, that just makes me feel like an even bigger failure <laughs> <laughs> no it just it just shows you on how, the negative <laughs> no no it just shows you how little yes, you've got focus how on little the positive. you've got brilliant positive, positive let's get back to the positive uh over on uh facebook rebecca powell uh family away for 10 days so i set a target of two thousand words a day for 10 days to kickstart my new novel nine days in and twenty thousand words banked never written so much so far word count will now plummet obviously but hopefully 200 words a day will now seem like a breeze double 200 words a day 200 words a day it is isn't it absolutely Absolutely brilliant i think that's what people should do they should try and write two thousand words a day and then realize how easy 200 words a day is for the fact you did it that's absolutely brilliant rebecca well done and last but by no means least um Susie Edge again like Sarah you know barely a week goes by where we don't update with something amazing that's happened with Susie so not only has Susie announced a massive book deal uh so Hachette Children's book has 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 got three books from Susie so they've acquired three non-fiction titles by Susie Edge so there's the text-led titles History Stinks Poo Through the Ages and History Stinks we through the ages <laughs> and then there's a, a full color title called a hole in the head a gruesomely grisly history of medical firsts uh which is coming out in 2025 so susie's got three amazing books coming out children's books but you remember mr d susie was nominated for tiktok author of the year which she didn't win but she says on my flight home one of the flight crew came along and asked me if i was me and got very excited about my books and got me up for a photo in front of everyone on the plane. It was very surreal, but quite a moment, a winning feeling. I have a book to edit this week, Back to Reality. I said to her, don't edit Back to Reality. We've already done it. Um, but that... Uh, uh, Who would anyone... not want to read about pee and poo through the ages? Everybody. Seriously, Horrible Histories missed one there big time because this is probably going to be bigger than Horrible Histories. And... 
I talk about like if anyone if anyone has young children, you know that that is going to be the bedtime reading yeah, for the next couple of it's years. It's a no-brainer. It's a total Genius. no-brainer. I'm totally buying that. Yeah. Can we also mention Steve Gowland on uh, the Wins of the Week because he's doing my book launch interview on Friday, so there should be some cheeky photographs of me and Steve. I think he's from Southport, so he's a bit posher than me. And then <laughs> Tommy Dunn's coming as well. He's a proper scouser, I think, with a name like Tommy Dunn. He'll be a scouser. So uh, I'll get a photograph of the three of us up on the BXP. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, look, look, folks, this is what the BXP group is like. It's all about supporting each other. It's all about celebrating wins. It's all about helping each other out. And you're going to be there with people like Susie and Sarah and some absolute legends as well. So, uh, yeah, become a become a, 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 a chart topper supporter and, and get involved. Totally. Grow and expanding a number of legends, it seems, at the moment. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant stuff. And Mr. Stay, um, let's remind people how they can find out about us on socials. Yeah, on social media. Well, it's expanding now because we, we they finally done a desktop thing for threads. So we're a, a little bit more lively on threads now. Um, but yeah, if you want to find us on Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. That seems to be where the action really is at the moment, actually. On Twitter, we're at Bestseller XP. Same on Instagram and on threads as well. So come and find us there. If you want to drop us a line, go to bestsellerexperiment.com. Uh, there's a contact tab there. You can email us there. And uh, yeah, celebrate your wins. Tell us what's going on in the world. Ask us questions. Uh, suggest guests for the future all that fun stuff brilliant and and also we just want to say a big thank you to everyone who supports this podcast if you'd like to do the free 200 word challenge it's 200 wordchallengecom and uh if you if you really want to really level up academy the bestseller academy you will get a membership to the bxp team which is where you'll meet and be able to chat with people like sarah how long have you been a member now sarah of the bxp team it's 72 years 72 years at least isn't it yeah um so so yeah you get to chat and find out all the incredible things that are happening in everyone's world and such a wealth of there's such a wealth of knowledge in this area isn't there just in terms of and the support yeah we're all just normal people i mean just look at me i'm just a normal person if i can do it you can do it and then just come along and we'll just keep you going we'll keep you going when you're flagging brilliant stuff and thank you so much sarah now sarah how can people find out about your book and your website so my website, which I've been tinkering with, is www.sarahmoorhead.com. So get on there and sign up for my newsletter and just generally keep in touch. I'm also on um, Twitter and Instagram, Sarah Moorhead author. So you can find me on the website. That's probably the easiest place. I'm just about to put up my author scrapbook, which is all sorts of really interesting things like roll dolls, or Christmas card from Roll Doll. I've got a letter from Jilly Cooper. I've got... Uh, Terry Pratchett's autograph. I've got quite a few things. So I'm going to get that up on my website this week and you'll be able to see how 27 years of trying to fight to be an author came out in all sorts of little relics and mementos. That sounds amazing. Hold the phone. How did you get a letter from Jilly Cooper? Tell us about that. I wrote to her and said, hey, Jilly, how did you become an author? And she wrote me a letter back. And you want to see it's on red paper. I got one from Bill Bryson and his reply was amazing. It just said, hi, Sarah, if you want to know how to be an author, my advice would be is to tell that author how wonderful his book is. Lots of love from Bill. <laughs> and this is going on the website. This is going on your website. 
Yeah, it's called um, it's going to be called Author Scrapbook, so you can have a little look at all the shenanigans I've been up to. Love it! Can't wait! Brilliant. Absolutely, Absolutely brilliant. brilliant! Well, there you Fantastic. go. This is, everyone needs to rock over to that. And so, we just want to say a massive thank you for coming back on the show, and we also want to wish you all the biggest bestseller experiment luck in the world for the release of the treatment. And we will, no doubt, be catching up on its success over the next coming months. Oh, my next author goal is to be the only person who's been on your show three times. Ooh. So I'll see you this time next year. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent stuff. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you again, everyone. And we hope you've been really inspired by today's show. And now we have been as well. And we look forward to joining you again, same time, same place next week. Uh, so it's a goodbye from Sarah. I think we need to break with tradition here. It's a goodbye <laughs> from Mark One. And a goodbye from Mark too. Oh, I nearly forgot who I was then. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Goodbye. Goodbye.